Is there a library, a bookstore around here where I could get books on rock and roll? Rock and roll. Tell this truth. Well, have you read this one? This this is a story that needs to be told. These rock and rollers want something to read. Hello, everybody. This is Christian Swain of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project, and I have another segment for you today of the Rock and Roll Librarian. With me, as always, is Shelly Sorensen from the San Francisco Public Library. Shelly, how you doing today? I'm doing real good. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, crazy weekend uh, here. Uh, we've been out uh, doing a lot of remote recording. I was at the Contemporary Jewish uh, Museum in San Francisco at the Bill Graham uh, exhibit earlier this week, and uh, we've got something coming up with that. And then yesterday, we went and saw the uh, traveling Broadway show Million Dollar Quartet, met the cast, sat down, asked them a bunch of questions, and we've got uh, a new show that we're going to launch here real soon. It's called Deeper Digs uh, in Rock. And those two uh, items will be the first two shows. So we're pretty excited about that. Wish you could have made it with us, uh, Shelly. That would have been fun. But we have an outing coming this Friday where uh, I think we're going to go see uh, a bit of David Bowie, huh? That's right. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Tony Visconti and uh, Woody Woodsmansey's David Bowie tribute band, Holy Holy, is in town. So we're excited about that. So, <gasps> yay. So, <laughs> hey, what is going on at the San Francisco Public Library these days? Well, I wanted to mention a really cool electronic resource that we have called Hoopla, H-O-O-P-L-A. Hoopla. Yeah, Hoopla. And just uh, pertinent to what we're doing here, people that have uh, library cards can go and borrow full-length albums on Hoopla digitally and uh, download them for a week onto their devices and listen to an album and they're always available. And it's something that I know public libraries throughout the country are hooked into as well. So if you're not a California or Bay Area resident and you can't get to the San Francisco Public Library, you can ask at your local library and see if they have Hoopla too. It's very easy to use and I've used it a lot in preparing for my podcasts because I can go back and listen to albums that I haven't heard in a while and that I don't own. And it's a really great way to decide if you really like an album, then you can go out and buy it. All right. So uh, I believe that's at hoopladigital.com. And I'll tell you what, we will uh, put the link onto the Rock and Roll Librarian page at the Rock and Roll Archaeology website. So anybody go over there, you'll be able to find uh, the information on Hoopla. All right, Shelley, what do you got for me today? What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about a book. It's not a really new book like the ones I've been talking about. This is called Wonderful Tonight, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, and me. And it's by Patty Boyd, who was married to both those. Yes, uh, she was. Those men. Ooh, and it was the, published. Probably the most famous muse in rock and roll. Yeah. It was published in 2007. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, let's dive into us. First of all, what, what did you think of the book? Oh, I, I, I really like this book. I've, it's my second reading. And, um, you know, it just appeals, especially to the female in me who, you know, always wondered what it would be like to 
be married to a rock and roll star. And so it's kind of going at it from a different direction instead of reading about what it's like to be a musician, what it's like to hang out with musicians and be in their personal lives. Wow. Well, that sounds very interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure she's got a lot to say. I mean, I, I know who she is and I remember seeing her uh, her lovely face uh, many times. Uh, so is the book kind of start with, is it a, like a biography is, is, is what we're it, talking about here? Yeah, it's a, it's an autobiography and she, you know, it, it's, um, but you know, it focuses on, as the subtitle suggests, um, her, her relationships with these two men, these very, very, very famous musicians, both, you know, excellent guitar players. Yeah. George Harrison and Eric Clapton. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And both of whom I've had crushes on in my life, that's for sure. Oh, so, you can but, see her point then. Yes, very interesting to me. So, um, yeah, she was born in 1944, and her family, uh, shortly after, when she was a young girl, um, moved to Kenya. Her her parents had family in Kenya. I guess, you know, that's the British Empire. Empire, Empire uh, that's yes, right. Yeah, yeah, the and, leftovers. Uh, yeah, and um, she, her... You know, she had a kind of a not a great family uh, life because her father left uh, the family um, and her mom and four kids and her mother remarried a man who um, none of the kids liked very much. And they moved back to England when she was probably a, a teenager or young, you know, an older uh, girl around 10 or so. And she was uh, quickly sent off to Catholic boarding schools, a, a, actually a, oh, that'll s- ruin a anybody. sequence of Catholic boarding schools. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as she got out of high school, she left home um, post haste and moved to London where she got a job at Elizabeth Arden, which I thought was interesting. That was in the early 60s, but I remembered that Elvis Costello had worked at Elizabeth Arden. That would have been about a decade later. So, oh, that yeah, was interesting. It's kind of like the the breeding ground for famous people in the <laughs> in those days. All um, right. Yeah. And um actually after shortly thereafter um because she was kind of in in that world of beauty and makeup and everything she was discovered she's oh, quite yes. of course quite beautiful woman and went as a young uh, i don't know at 18 or 20 into the modeling business and did quite well. Okay, so I think um she's modeling and then she gets cast in a very certain movie. That's right. She answered a casting call for a movie. Actually, she didn't know what movie it was when she went on the casting call, but she was um, strongly persuaded to go along to this casting call, even though she was terrified that she would have to speak, which she ended up not having to. And she got role. That's yes, right. she got the gig, and it was on the movie A Hard Day's Night. Yes, the Beatles' first movie, and I, I distinctly remember her. She plays a schoolgirl uh, on the train as the boys are coming from Liverpool into London. And uh, I think that's where her and George Harrison first met. That's right. And it was right in the early stages of Beatlemania. She was almost 20 and she was promised two days of work. And um, actually the 
the taping of the movie happened about a month after the Ed Sullivan show that they appeared on. Yeah, that's true. In that's February. True. They, yeah, they had gone on the first uh, little American tour of the East Coast here. It was like New York, Washington, and Miami, I believe. And then uh, they went home and they started filming uh, Hard Day's Night. Yeah, and um, she actually didn't have any of their records, and she hadn't paid much attention to their music. Isn't that just the way of it? These <laughs> people that don't care about it are the ones that meet the, the famous people. This gives me an excuse to play A Hard Day's Night. Yeah! It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. They meet. They do. Uh, and uh, well, she's got to be about 20 then because it's 1964. All right. Well, and, um, uh, she and said, what happens? First of all, she said the boys were enchanting, funny, quick-witted, and uh, hysterical with their thick Liverpudlian accents. Those scousers. It was impossible to be in their company and not be helpless with laughter. She thought George was the best-looking man she'd ever seen, and they were both shy, but they sat next to each other at lunch. And at the end of the day, George asked if she would marry him. <laughs> wow, quite forward. <laughs> yes. Love at first sight, huh? Well, I guess, or smitten with, at first sight. Yeah. Um, and she thought it was a joke, but then he asked her out, and she said she couldn't because she had a boyfriend. But when she went home and told her friends about that, they thought she was totally nuts. Luckily, she didn't like the guy that much. She was somewhat disenchanted oh, by her current yes. boyfriend. Uh -huh. And so by the time... Well, how of, do you compete with a beetle? You, you don't. And plus, he was sweet and cute and everything. Right. So, so the second day's shooting was 10 days after the first day. And in the interim, she had gone home and broken up with her boyfriend. So by Smart. the time... Girl. She saw George again. She was free to go out on that date. Oh, so then uh, they went out on a date. George set up uh, some nice restaurant in the full evening and brought flowers. Of course, he well, would do all that, right? No, he did not do all that. This was kind of the beginning of her realizing that these very famous rock and roll stars were totally helpless in their own totally way. helpless, and they had minders. And, um, of course, the famous one was Brian Epstein. And he actually went out on the date with them. He oh, planned, he was a chaperone. Yes, he planned the date. He, you know, booked the restaurant and he went with them and, you know, helped kind of smooth things along because apparently they were both quite shy. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. All right. So, obviously, things move on from there. They did. They, a few uh, days later, she took him home to meet her family. So, I think Oh, this things, was very serious. Yes. Wow. Okay. Mm. And uh, let's see, 64. And I think they get married in like 66. Is that right? They do. Um, she she does talk a little bit about Beatlemania, you know, even before they got married. So they were together for a couple of years before they got married. So she got to see all of that. Right. Mm. And she got, um, she said that George really hated the attention and he was frightened by the fans and she got hate letters and actually was attacked <laughs> by a Her girl. Cynthia. 
Yeah. She, yeah. And they were kept kind of secret too, but not secret enough, I guess. No. Um, she was attacked by somebody outside a concert, you know, so they had fun and they went on fabulous vacations with the other Beatles and their girls and wives and almost bought an island. Yeah, did they? Yeah, in uh, the Greek island. I think there was some money that they needed to tax Stash. right off or yeah. something like that. So, all so, right, so, all right. And, and another interesting thing about Brian um, Epstein was George had to ask Brian's permission to marry Patty. Wow. But but she says that it's it wasn't so much, can I get married? It was, when are we going on tour and when can I do oh, this? Oh, I yeah. see. So oh, she yeah. had to, it was had a to book scheduling the time. Issue. Yes, right. scheduling okay. issue. <laughs> All right. All right. So they get married and that's uh, 1966. The Beatles have quit touring here uh, about midway through that year. And uh, they're in London working on some uh, hot new albums. And uh, and then what happens? Well, let's see. They uh, they did have their coffee spiked with LSD. Oh, um, yes. Yes. And they... The famous ad lib club scene, yeah. Uh, the uh, the dentist that uh, I think John and George, along with Cynthia and Patty, and the story that uh, that I know is the boys enjoyed it and the girls did not like it very much. I can't imagine that they would I, actually, but but yes, I think the boys did like it because it did become part of their creative process for a little while anyway. Interesting. That's a part of uh, our episode nine that'll be coming out here real soon. Oh, cool. All right. So uh, she has now experienced. Uh, where do we go from there? <laughs> She's experienced. Um, well, let's see. They do, She does talk about them coming and visiting San Francisco in 1967. Oh, Summer of Love. Yeah. yeah. I Taking know George acid. did not like that. No, he it, it, it all turned kind of, of sinister, I think, very after quickly a while. It, did. Yeah. it was uh, street urchins living, uh, you know, poorly, barely fed. Uh, and, you know, he did not have a good time. No. And I, you know, I didn't, I had a bad uh, Haight-Ashbury acid experience too myself. So... George and I have something in common. I should ask uh, more <laughs> about that, but uh, I think we'll leave that for another time. Okay. All right. So after, uh, let's see, 67, um, I think uh, then the Marishi shows up about now. Yeah. And actually, right before that, um, Brian Epstein dies. Yeah. Uh, they, well, they were at a TM retreat when that happened. Yeah. In, I think in Wales. So they had met the Maharishi earlier in the week. Then they'd gone to a weekend retreat. And that's when Brian died. Right. And yeah, that was devastating for everyone. Yeah. It was the beginning of the end of the Beatles at that point. Even John says so. Yeah. So yeah, in 1968, they went to uh, Rishikesh. Um, in India oh, to study for, for trans- an extra long weekend. That's right. This was the 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 Mondo package. Right. Yeah, and uh, all the Beatles went in there and their ladies uh, to to India. George and Patty stayed the longest. They stayed. Yeah, for well, two this months. was right up George's alley here. Yeah, well, it became right up his alley. That's yeah, for I sure. I know Ringo didn't last very long. He couldn't deal with the food. No. You were, she she said, I guess that's a well-known fact that he brought cans of beans yeah, with him he, yes, to India. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. His luggage eat. was rather heavy here yeah, with the rest. Yeah, so. So anyway, that, so they all, I mean, you know, George really, really took to meditation. And the boys wrote several songs while they were in India that went on to the White Album. And they were joined there by several other famous people, including Donovan, Marianne yeah. Faithful, yeah. and Mike Love. 
love yep. of the Beach Boys. And while they were there, Patty mentions about how John was getting love letters from Yoko, even though he was there with his wife, Cynthia. So that was like the beginning of the end of their breakup. Okay. And, um, and yep. then he told Patty while they were there in a matter of fact way that he had written a song for her and uh, played it for her. And that was something. That was in yes. Rishikesh. Wow. All right. Well, everybody, one of George Harrison's best songs is a Beatle. Here's a little of something. herself uh, showing up. Uh, that is it's a beautiful. great song. And in fact, Frank Sinatra said it was the best love song ever written. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. Uh, high praise for Frank. He <laughs> and and George's favorite of cover of that song, which was something I thought was interesting, and I've never heard this one, is, was James Brown. Have you ever heard James Brown singing something? Doing no, something? we'll have to look that no, up next. No, I don't think I have. Yeah, I yeah. will uh, definitely go <laughs> listen to that. All right, so uh, we're getting towards the end yeah. of the Beatles here. So Patty and George are married. Uh, they've gone off to Rishikesh. Something has yep. been written for her, and uh, the Beatles are coming to a close. So let's, uh, okay. let's move on from um, there. Let's see. Well, when they got back from India, this is when Patty says that her and George's relationship started going downhill. Oh, really? Why so? You would think it would bring them closer together. You but. would think so. And she, she actually got into meditation, too. I think she still practices it. And so it was, you know, part of her spirituality. They did kind of, um, they did share that together. Mm-hmm. But um, he took it um, a lot <laughs> more seriously uh, than, yeah, any, than anybody was, else that went. He was a pretty devoted transcendental meditation yes. guy. Yeah. He grew, he grew really kind of moody and introspective and, and was either kind of all internally into himself and spiritual, and then he would kind of snap out of it and become really kind of wake up and say, oh, there's all this, you know, interesting stuff going on around me, like music and women and drugs and stuff. Oh, all the good stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of like ping-ponging between the spiritual and the and the flesh. And, ah. um, and actually, I think this was kind of the beginning of him starting to sleep with other women. And he actually told Patty at that time, right after they came back from India, that he wanted to be a, Krish- a Krishna figure and have concubines. Don't we all? Yeah. Well, speak for yourself, well, young well, man. Well, you know, in fantasy land, yes. of course. Uh, all he right. became kind of distant, and um, and I, I think, mean, I could have said, well, it sounds like an excuse, but sure. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that's you know the way he kind of continued his life, but anyway, that might have been just a phase. But uh, you know, and then there was uh, Brian's death, and George starting to feel kind of cut out of the John Paul creative partnership. So he, you know, he, he was struggling with a lot of stuff about his career and his personal life. Mm-hmm. So around that time, around 1970, they went, uh, I guess uh, they went, George and Patty went to see 
somebody uh, playing in a concert, and his name was Eric Clapton, Who? and he, he was playing with Delaney Eric, and Bonnie. Eric what? Eric Clapton. Wait a minute. Delaney and Bonnie, that's my new favorite toy. Hey, they're my favorites first. I love those guys. All right. So, okay. So, Eric Clapton and Delaney and Bonnie are uh, playing. That's and, uh, right. Oh, and so that's the first time she saw Eric. Yeah, that was the they that was the first when they when they met each other. Um, and actually, he seems to have met Patty's much younger half sister Paula, who was seventeen at the time, who moved in with Eric. Um, so she so this was before Patty and well, she was just seventeen. Oh, never mind. <laughs> All right, go on. So, so Paula moved in with Eric and he had other young girlfriends too, that he was kind of, um, you know, um, bobbling around and, uh, she, she had a long history of drug All and right, alcohol. He's starting to sound like Paul Stanley. Let's get it back here. <laughs> okay. Who's Paul Stanley? From Kiss. Oh. He's always got a gaggle of girls in any photograph or, <laughs> and I don't know if it's real or not, but that's another story. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll talk about that later. All right. So, um, but I think Eric was, I, she doesn't say exactly when, you know, their attraction sparked, but Eric was very taken with Patty from the beginning. Wow, love at first sight twice. Yeah, and and hung around her and George and made his feelings actually very well known, even though he was, you know, leading this life with other women, one of whom was her sister. Not to mention really close friends with uh, her husband, George Harrison. That's right. So one day he took Patty to uh, the Domino's flat, you know, Derek and the Domino's, and played her a song. It was the most powerful and moving song I had ever heard, she said. The song was Layla. Oh, man. Yeah, that's... uh, (laughs) So here's the second song inspired uh, by Patty Boyd. That's right. About a man... Uh, is inspired by the story of Layla and Menjun. I think that's a Persian story, possibly, about a man who falls hopelessly in love with a woman who loves him but is unavailable. Oh, well, all right. Eric Clapton, Derek and the Dominoes, of course, with Dwayne Allman on slide. Here's Layla. <laughs> Listen to it with headphones on, those big headphones that are coming back in fashion. Yeah. Tom Dowd uh, engineered and produced that for Eric uh, and Derek and the Dominoes. And uh, again, <laughs> a, uh, a little bit of episode nine. Oh. All right. So Eric's fallen madly in love with George Harrison's wife. This cannot end well. 
<laughs> well, yes, and she was totally, you can imagine, um, quite overwhelmed. Well, yeah, he's not not only, I mean, they're, they're not sneaking around or anything like that. I mean, he's put his feelings out for the entire world here. Right. And she felt uncomfortable about that, you can imagine, because she felt like once, you know, once that went out into the world, everyone would know who it, who he wrote it about. But the song got the better of her and she realized, you know, she had inspired this passion and creativity and she could no longer resist him. Oh, really? So she doesn't say exactly what that means because they didn't get together right away yeah because she she uh stayed uh, married to uh to george for a few years beyond that. yes and um actually right away uh, um an interesting story from this book is after eric had her in to listen to layla later that night they ended up at a at a party after some concert they went to separately and they were talking in the garden at the party and George came in and went out and found them together. Obviously he'd gone and listened to the song. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it was out yet, but he could see, I mean, they must've been in some kind of compromising. It was recorded in uh, September of 1970. So, okay. Yeah. After, so uh, anyway, George, George, uh, comes in and finds them together and says, what, what's going on here? And Eric uh, said, man, I got to tell you, I'm in love with your wife. Ouch. Uh, George was furious. And Eric said, uh, George said, who, who are you going to go with then, him or me? And Patty, Patty said, I'm coming home with you, George. You're my husband. So they, they, they did go home together. I mean, that didn't break them up right away. But, but a little bit later, um, Eric came to Friar Park, to the house that Patty and George lived in together, and um, demanded that Patty leave George and come away with him. But she refused. So he held out a small packet of heroin and threatened to use it. And she, you know, basically blackmailing her. And Wow, such the drama queen there. Yeah. And uh, she, you know, stood her ground and said, no, I'm not going to do it. And he, I'm not going to leave George. And Eric went away and actually post-haste became a heroin addict. And... um, And she said she barely saw him for three years as he spiraled, you know, totally out of control into the depths of addiction. Yes, he did. But during that time, sent her some pretty intense love letters. Oh, so he uh, he still was pursuing her uh, just a little bit more quietly, not so public now. Yeah, he was pretty, he was very single-minded, I would say, about that. Oh, and at that. the same time, her and George's uh, marriage had really begun to fall apart, it right? It did. He was quite obsessive about chanting and meditating and he, you know, and then he had affairs and she felt more, you know, she just felt alienated, like he wasn't including her in you know, fixing up the house and the gardens at Friar Park. He, he didn't, you know, he was having affairs. He didn't really share with her, um, the way they had before. And she, she says that the straw that broke the camel's back with them was his affair with Ringo Starr's wife, Maureen, Really? Um, but before we get to that, wow, um, this is all incestuous. Yeah, it is. It's quite quite the soap opera. She 
they, they she saw Eric again um, during that time when um, George was putting on the concert for Bangladesh. And he really wanted Eric in the concert, even though I guess he knew that Eric was in love with his wife. But I suppose music trumps all that stuff. And he and everybody knew that Eric was a heroin addict. And so they had to, when he came to New York from England, they had to score him some really um, pure heroin so that he could be all set up before he went on stage. So George goes and gets this material to help his buddy who really wants to take his wife away from him. Right. I don't think George actually got oh, the heroin okay. for oh, him okay, but okay. you know they they all worked at like who's going to get the heroin for <laughs> eric you know so um, i'm sure it's on the checklist yeah uh, so he did right. get into treatment eventually and pete i think pete townsend helped him yes uh, that's what that. she said yeah. he was yeah. really dogged about not leaving him alone in his good old stress pete. yeah oh. and so yeah so and then in 1972 george was having an affair with maureen who was ringo's wife and was quite blatant about it actually um, um most of that kind of womanizing that went on uh, these musicians didn't really hide it and expected their women to just kind of accept that that was part of being the job description with, that was part of their job description right, right. yeah yeah. And then um, there was uh, a time around that time uh, that Eric came to Friar Park and George um, was just had had enough of this, of him wooing his wife. And as soon as Eric walked in the door, he handed him a guitar and an amp and they settled down to a two hour guitar duel. And Excuse me. They had a they had a duel. It was like handing a sword to your rival. They had a duel, though the winner apparently it was like a model off. Yeah. Or was David Bowie the uh, <laughs> judge here? Uh, oh wow! Yeah. Really? I don't think anybody got hurt, right? No, nobody got hurt, and the general feeling was that Eric had won, even when was this in front of an audience? No, just in their house, you know, with their friends around. There were always millions, yeah, you know, yeah, tons yeah, of yeah, people yeah, the hangers around, zones. a right. huge. Mm-hmm. House and they always had guests and people living with them and stuff like that. And she said even when Eric was drunk, his playing was unbeatable. In fact, <laughs> Eric yes. went straight from uh, kicking heroin into being a, quite a, an unstoppable alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, George Harrison's a, a great guitar player in his own way, you know, turned into a great songwriter. But as they say... And it was written on the wall, Clapton is God. Uh, he's just a fantastic guitar player. Though he did apparently say, when asked uh, how it felt to be the best guitar player in the world, he said, I don't know, why don't you ask Prince? Really? Yes, this is a recent quote I heard about Eric uh, Clapton. With uh, the recent uh, passing of yeah. uh, Dear Prince, right. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, let's leave that for another show because yes. I'm sure that will come up. Um, uh, we we haven't got to him ourselves, and we we think very highly of, of Prince, and we will definitely get there. All right. So uh, he gets cleaned up. George and Patty are split. I take it he and uh, Patty are together now uh, uh, in uh, like seventy four, seventy five, uh, and uh, and then where do we go? Yeah, well, yeah, in 74, she left George and um, and got together with Eric right away. And 
she, let's see, they, she went on tour with them. You know, things were, of course, wonderful at first, except for that Eric was drinking quite a bit. And he, uh, one, one of the events that she talks about, they were getting ready for uh, a party. And of course, she was trying on, she couldn't decide what to wear. She's trying on dress after dress and changing her makeup and I've seen this show before. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know a woman like that? I yeah. do. <laughs> so he was very, very sweet and patient, and he was just sitting downstairs playing his guitar while she was getting ready, and finally she came down and said, the inevitable, do I look all right? And he played her what he'd been playing on his guitar and what he written had written while she was upstairs, which was, wonderful tonight. Hey, you 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 gave the intro right there. Let's just go ahead and play okay. it. It's late in the evening. She's wondering what clothes to wear. She puts on her makeup and brushes her long, long hair. And then she asks me. Another great song uh, from 1976, uh, Wonderful Tonight. That's that's a, a wonderful love song. Uh, it, I think it could melt just about any woman's heart. Uh, that's probably the high water mark of their relationship, if I if I remember right. Although it goes on for like ten years. I mean, they're they're married till like the late 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. So when did they get married? They got married in 79, I think. Um, they got married, yes, in 1979. Uh, she had actually left Eric because he, you know, because of his alcoholism and he had an affair with a woman that she couldn't take. And so she left him and went to California. Uh, and then uh, Roger Forrester, his uh, manager, called her and said, Eric wants to marry you. Uh, and apparently that was based on a bet that they'd made. Uh, Roger said he could get Eric's picture in the paper the next day. And they woke up to find out that the picture was in the paper saying that Eric was going to marry Patty. And Patty was the only one who didn't know about it. So um, they, he pressured her to say yes. And she they got married in Tucson. Well, it's good to know that he at least pays his bets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And, um, of course, the marriage was, you know, they got married, but he was kind of back on the uh, on the, the lady circuit soon after that um, oh. and uh, had to go into rehab for his alcoholism. And meanwhile, she was getting infertility treatments um, because she was... And I think uh, Phil Collins helped him with the alcoholism. Oh, I thought uh, you were going to say with right. the infertility. Oh, no. no. <laughs> I think Phil Collins was in there trying to help Phil her with Collins her infertility. Phil Collins has a lot of things, but yeah. I don't think he's an IV doctor, but okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, see, so she actually left Eric a couple times, um, but he wooed her back. He couldn't be without her. And every time he wooed her back, you know, he just screwed up again. So, so he toured. He went on a tour to Italy and hooked up with a, a Italian actress named Lori Del Santo, and came back to England and told Patty that he was in love with this woman. Ugh. And it turned out, um, and she 
it turned out uh, Lori got pregnant with Eric's child, which was very painful for Patty. Yeah, because she she doesn't have children, right? Yeah, she never had children with either of her husbands and was trying and wanted to uh, be a mother. And instead, Eric had um, gone and fathered uh, some other woman's baby. Oh, man. So she left him again. And that was it. They divorced in 1988, and she grieved, you know, the loss of two marriages and not being a a mother. She was 43 at that time, and she'd spent, you know, over 20 years of her life with these two famous men and had to learn to be a normal person after that. So she took up uh, photography and had her first solo exhibit in 2005 in yeah, San George, Francisco. George Harrison bought her her first uh, real camera, right? That, yeah, that's right. She she took lots of pictures. Before she studied to be a photographer, she took tons of pictures of the Beatles and Eric and that kind of thing. So she had a lot of material to be in her um, in her photography exhibits. Right. But then she began to take it serious in her uh, the second age of her life. That's right. Yeah, okay. because she needed to make a living. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and another really sad thing that she talks about in the book is that, you know, after Eric was so happy to become a father and actually, you know, was taking this news home to his wife, Patty, and telling her, oh, my God, I had a son. Let me tell you all about it. And she, of course, did not totally share in his joy. But a few, you know, when the baby was five, everybody knows the story oh, yeah, the, about uh, his, the mother, his mother, he was living with his mother at least part of the year in New York, in New York City, City. And they were in a high, like an 80, I don't know, they were living on the 80th story of the high rise. And he was running around in the apartment and fell out an open window and died. So um, that was, of course, totally devastating to Eric. And he wrote a beautiful, beautiful song about about Connor's death. Yeah, uh, Tears in Heaven. Um, well, let's play a little of that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven. like she had kind of a a sad life when you when you you get down to it or you know i don't know it's uh she lived the high life but uh she uh she didn't end up with um with the prize put it that way no and and you know she of course she's uh, in retrospect you know looking back at that that period um she's able to say well 
you know, I had an amazing life. I traveled. I, you know, was had relationships with these two incredible creative musicians. And, you know, even though... Uh, it was heartbreaking. There was a lot of heartbreak for me. You know, she she doesn't sound like she regrets um, any of it, huh? Yeah, she she actually says she regrets leaving George, that she should have stayed with him to work it out. But but then on the other hand, she also says she doesn't regret this very, very passionate relationship she had with Eric, even though he was, you know, an addict and um, a womanizer and and all that. So, I you know, it's kind of hard. She's kind of, you know, obviously yeah, hindsight's like st- 20, still conflicted 20. about it. But anyway, it, you know, she had an incredible life. She's not she's not downplaying her life and saying, you know, it was a tragedy. She she did things that other women would never be able to do and had amazing experiences. But she also is an amazing photographer now and she's making her living like that. And um, like I said, she had a show in San Francisco in 2005. And I, I, I think that was her first uh, exhibit. Yeah. And it was, I think, mostly photographs that she had uncovered and remembered that she had that she put together and realized she had enough for an exhibit and yeah um, yeah in yeah. fact it's uh it's called the george eric and me a personal collection and it's been traveling since then uh and it's uh, upcoming uh if anybody's interested it's going to be at uh, the beatles story in liverpool from may the 6th into the autumn of 2016 very cool we should go see it yes uh <laughs> it's time to go to liverpool it's a field trip. I'm down. <laughs> All right. Too. So is there anything you want to close with? Well, I I don't I don't think so. I mean, just that I was really impressed with her story and, you know, really happy that she, you know, could move on with her life and and very struck with the actually the chauvinism of the rock and roll world um as seen through her eyes and her well, i don't experience. know if it was just the rock and roll world it may have just been a sign of the times i think it but it's amplified because these men are kind of made to feel like they're kind of supermen yeah and greek so, gods yeah, yeah it's not your just normal chauvinism it's your super chauvinism no. it's on yes. steroids <laughs> right yeah. before there were steroids right. all right but you know all right well but you highly I recommend do, the and, book. um and uh, I'm going to uh, lend it to your lady friend because <laughs> I know Great. she's interested well, too. Well, then she's going to look at me with a jaundiced eye, well, being she... a minor rock star. Oh, come myself. on, she's she's married to a I rock know. and roll star. Yes. Yeah. She knows. <laughs> but I'm one of the good ones. That's right. That's right. All right, Shelley. Thank you very much. You know, thinking about it, as a photographer. You know, poor Ringo Starr got screwed in this thing as well. I think I'm going to end the show with his song, Photograph. Perfect. We'll see you on the next edition of The Rock and Roll Librarian. Keep up the rocking. Every time I see your face, it reminds me of the places we used to go.
Looking for ways to help right the wrongs of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. The Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast is produced and hosted by Christian Swain. Written by Richard Evans and Christian Swain. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information.